Hey friends, this is Josh Blair. I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer is that the message you hear today will encourage you, inspire you, and help you walk closer with Jesus this week. Hey, this morning we're, we're continuing in our series on the Gospel of Mark. Have you been enjoying it? This is week four of, uh, of the Gospel of Mark, and we've we did a recap of it. We did an overview of the gospel starting a couple of weeks ago, looking at the fact that it's the first gospel ever written. It was the earliest account of Jesus's life and the good news of what Jesus brought to us on earth. Uh, we looked at how in chapter two, the power of our faith, where, where the, the paralyzed man is lowered down through the roof by his four friends. And it's the four friends faith that bring healing to him and bring even forgiveness of sins. That'll mess with your theology. That'll mess you like, how does that work? Well, Jesus can do whatever he wants, right? And so we see that picture of that. Then last week we had a good friend of mine, Pastor uh, Jake Clevenger, came and spoke to us. And so, uh, and he spoke about the Sabbath and how we need that rest. How many of you actually did some Sabbath rest this week? That you, you just rested, you enjoyed family, you spent time together? Because Sabbath is not only about resting, but it's loving on God and it's loving on each other too. And so it's something that God... Created. Jesus said that the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so uh, that's what we want to make sure we're continuing to do. So uh, continuing on into the, the gospel of Mark, uh, I want to point out the fact, too, that uh, this morning we're going to be talking about, the, we're still in chapter 3. We're going to be looking at chapter 3, verses 13 through the end of the chapter. And what I need us to know and, and realize about the gospel of Mark is that uh, when Mark wrote the, the gospel, he didn't write it haphazardly. He wasn't just like sitting down. Sometimes we think about like the, the scriptures being inspired by the Holy Spirit. We don't really know what that looks like. But we understand the, the authors of the books and the, in the, in, uh, and the gospel and, and other letters that were written, they, didn't, they just didn't sit down and write whatever came to their mind as they wrote it, right? They actually thought things out. And we understand that by looking at it this uh, as literature, not only as the gospel of how techniques of how they used and what they wrote. And so Mark is no exception, even though we know that he wrote the first gospel. And some say that he was the, it's the simplest gospel, but it's actually much more complex than we understand it. There's, there's deeper understandings and deeper meanings within the text that go beyond just what's at surface level. And can we get things out from surface level? Of course. But we also know that there are layers that God reveals deeper things to us. And as Mark wrote, he did that. He, you know, and, and as he writes, you, you'll notice in this gospel that he'll jump, he'll start a story and then he'll jump to another story. And then all of a sudden he's back at a story that's very similar to the first one. And you're like, what are you doing? Right? So sometimes Mark will see if I can do this with the microphone. So he'll start a start a portion. Then he'll start before this story is done. He'll start another story. Right? And then while he's telling this one, boom, he's got another one and he's got, he'll do that throughout the gospel. And we'll see that, Initially here, starting in, in chapter 3, it's something that the uh, that uh, theologians and scholars have coined. I don't know if this is a technical term, but it's called sandwiching. It's where Mark Mark will sandwich layers in as he writes them to reveal a deeper meaning to us as he's writing. And so when we, we're understanding this, uh, we I want to make sure that we know that the, the middle of the story is often a key to understand what's happening before it and after it. It's it's the it's the meat of the story. It's so like for instance when we talk about sandwiches, which I love, 
if you have a sandwich, you have two pieces of bread, and then you have you have peanut butter, and then you've got jelly. What kind of sandwich is that? Peanut butter jelly sandwich, right? If you have ham and you've got cheese, what kind of sandwich is that? Sandwich. The middle defines the sandwich, right? We don't call the sandwich by the bread. Give me one of them wheat breads sandwiches. What do you want? No, no, I just, you figure it out. You put it whatever you want in the middle. No, we don't say that. That'd be weird, right? And so if we would go to Subway, Togo's, you know, that's like after the fact. They ask you what kind of sandwich, and then, oh, yeah, what kind of bread do you want? So the middle of it defines what the story is about. And so we are going to jump into that. And oftentimes, uh, sometimes we'll, pastors and preachers will come in, and they'll just take the middle portion and preach just the middle portion, uh, but not the surrounding picture. And there are truths in that, but but we can miss the overarching meaning of what the what Mark is trying to say when we just do the middle, when we just preach the middle, or we preach just the, the first and the last part. Do you understand how that's kind of a little weird, right? If I just did the first and the last, I'm just giving you two pieces of bread. Enjoy. If I just preach the middle, I'm just giving a slab of peanut butter and jelly on the on the plate, be like, Ta-da, right? Those things are still good, but they're not the best. And so what we want to do is preach the entire gospel. I actually kind of want to do it this way. I don't know, Sam, are you able to get that illustration of the pictures? Do you guys know the mosaics uh, like or um, collage pictures that are large pictures that are made up of small, very small pictures? Um, I wanted to give an illustration of that this morning. Because it's pretty, it's pretty unique. And oftentimes, when we get into the, we get into these verses or just a few verses together, it's like looking at the small picture. And those are good things, and those pictures are good, and we enjoy those pictures. But oftentimes, we need to zoom out to get the full understanding of what the picture is trying to reveal. And so this morning, we're gonna, we're gonna pull back and reveal it. So. Um, as they pulled it up, I'm going to talk about that. And this is what I want to do. So, all right, so check it out, right? So these are good. These are beautiful pictures of family, babies, some guy. I don't know. I don't know who that is, but, right? That's a that's a good picture, right? You can enjoy that picture, right? It, there's nothing wrong with that. Just like you can, when you read scripture and you read verses, you can take out a verse and you're like, man, this is a, this is a verse speaking to me. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it. It can speak to you, but sometimes to get the, bigger understanding we have to zoom out we've got to pull back to figure out what it actually is trying to show us right we need to pull back to see that it's not just about this little verse or this little thing it's about something bigger right and so sometimes we have pictures of family members we look at those little but we but we belong to a larger family don't we and so this is what we're going to do this morning if i could get uh uh if I can get somebody to help me, it's a, is it Adam? Adam, come up here. I need your help. I knew your name, and then you know when you get nervous, you forget all of a sudden. Uh, can you put that, that board right up here for me? So this is what I'm going to do. I, I want to um, I want to pull back the layers a little bit. I want to, yeah, uh, yeah, put it uh, long ways. Yeah, there you go. Is that called landscape? Landscape. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Awesome, awesome, perfect. Uh, have a seat, but I'm gonna call you back up here for a minute. So this is what I'm gonna do, right? I'm, I feel like uh, I feel like I want to pull back the curtains a little bit so you can see the wizard behind the curtain, Wizard of Oz reference. 
uh, I want I want to pull back and 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 let you know how how you begin to do something on your own like this. When you look at scripture, I want you to be able to pick up nuances and see the bigger picture when you're doing your own reading and your own Bible study. I want to kind of deconstruct. This is what I want to do. I want to pretend like you're at Subway or Togo's and they're making the sandwich in front of you, right? That's what I want to do this morning. I want to make the sandwich in front of you. Can we do that? So you can, if you want more, if you want more meat, we'll give you more meat. Well, I'm not going to be stingy like Subway, right? When you say, can I get, can you put a little bit more on there for me, please? Right. I want you to have the full. I want everything. Right. If you want a little salt and pepper, I got that. I got if you just look, look at my beard and look at my hair. I got a little salt and pepper extra for you. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to dive into this. And uh, because I want you to see that um, as you're reading the Bible and you and you're diving into it, uh, that, yes, there are simple things that are set on right on the surface. But there are more complex things that you can also understand and glean from by just sitting, pulling back a little bit, pulling back and looking at the bigger picture of what it is. So so not just to focus necessarily on the single verse, but on the larger aspect of Scripture. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. So, Adam, can you come back up? I need you to hold the board for me because um, I didn't practice holding this, holding this, and writing at the same time. So I need your help holding to make sure that it's, it's, it's steady. So, see, I already know what to do. All right, so uh, we're going to start in verse 13. And this is going to be a little bit like going back to school, okay? And But it's going to be fun. I'm like the fun sub-teacher. But you're going to pay attention and not like do other class homework while we're doing this. All right, because I know some of you. All right, so we're starting in verse 13. And this is what I, I need your participation. So as I read the verse, I'm going to ask you questions. I need you to reply. Uh, I'm going to ask you, like, where did this happen? Or who's in the story? Or that kind of stuff. And you're going to answer, okay? And it won't be, if you don't know the answer, Jesus is always a good answer, okay? We're, we're in church, so... This is about him anyway. So we're going to start. Verse 13 says this, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. So where is this location happening? On the mountain. All right. Look at this, guys. You're already, Adam, man, they already know. They're doing great. Make sure I spell right. All right. Can you see that in the back? Mountain? All right. Now. Now, who, uh, what, what action is taking place? I'll give you a hint. It doesn't actually say his name, but when it talks about he in the Gospels, it's usually talking about Jesus. So, so what action is happening right now? Jesus went up on the mountain, and what did he do? He called people to himself. Okay. All right, so Jesus called. Okay, good. Now, uh, let's start on verse 14. And he appointed 12, whom he also called apostles, so they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and having authority to cast out demons. All right, now who do we have? Who showed up? Who's the new characters? The apostles. All right, I'm just going to write the 12, all right? Because it's faster and easier. And uh, what did he call them to? What's the first thing he said? So that what? Go up a little higher than that. After he called, he named them apostles so that they might be with him, right? That's important. So that he called, Jesus called the 12 to be with him, and then he gave them authority and power, yes? To cast out demons and to preach in his name. So verse 16, he appointed the 12, Simon, whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, 
which were called the Sons of Thunder, and Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is what I find that's interesting, right? In this story, Jesus is calling the apostles, the 12 that are going to represent him, and he calls who to be a part of the 12? Judas, the one that was going to, he already knew he was going to betray him, and yet he called them to be close to him. That's interesting. That's interesting to me. That's something that we should note. Verse, uh, verse 20 says this, that he, then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they, uh, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying he's out of his mind. This is interesting. They think he's crazy because he can't eat. Do y'all know how family members like that? You're like, you're not eating. What's wrong with you? Are you upset? Are you not hungry? What, what did she do to you, mijo? You know what I mean? <laughs> what did she say? Come over here. You're not eating. We got to figure this out. This is kind of like, I wonder if Jesus is a little bit uh, Hispanic. You know what I mean? Like his family. <laughs> I don't try. I got to figure this out. So this is what happens. His family say, you're out of your mind because he's not eating this crowds all around him. So this is going to be the next portion. This is going to be a part of our, our, our sandwich still. So now where is, where is he? Where is he in this verse? Uh, go back up one uh Go back up one more. Yeah, where is he at? He's at home. All right. And uh, we've got a crowd around him, and he's not eating, That's which is upsetting for all of us. And then who do we have? His family. His family. That's interesting. And uh, they try to seize him because he. they say he's – I'm going to just shorten it and say he's nuts. Okay? He's out of his mind. Okay, he's at home. His family says, you're nuts. All right, so this is the first part. Adam, are you getting anything out of this? All right, good. If you, you're, you're standing right here, man. I, I'm just making sure. All right, so that's going to be our first part of the sandwich, right? Because all of a sudden, Mark, when he's, when he's writing this, he switches it up. Verse 22, what, all of a sudden, he's got new people and the new thing that he's saying. It says, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. Now, we've got new people and new characters. All right? So who do we have here? Scribes. So the scribes uh, belonged. Some of them believe that they belonged to the Pharisees. A lot of the Pharisees, some of them, they couldn't write or read. They actually had just people that did that for them. They would read and they write. They called them the scribes. And they're with them. Where are they coming from? Jerusalem. So here's an interesting part about Jerusalem. If you know the geography of Jerusalem, where is Jerusalem located? No, it's on top of a mountain. Jerusalem is on top of a mountain. And you notice that they come down from the mountain here, right? He's up. He goes up to a mountain. Now he's, they're coming down from a mountain. Jerusalem was, a, uh, was known as a meeting place with God, right? Because what's at Jerusalem? The temple. The temple is where they would meet with God. So these people are the religious elite who are coming to challenge Jesus and say, you're possessed by a demon, right? So this is what happens. I'm, I'm not asking questions now. I'm just telling you. I probably should be asking. Who do they say he's possessed by? A demon, right? Beelzebul. That, that's, a, that's a good one to remember because it actually plays into what Jesus says here. Do you know what this word means? Some So Beelzebub, right? Have you heard that one, Beelzebub? It means Lord of the Flies. You ever read the book, Lord of the Flies? That's where the title comes from. But Beelzebul 
means Lord of the house. It means Lord of the house. And so Jesus is now going to tell us a parable. And uh, you'll see how it connects. So it says he's possessed by demons. Let's go to the next verse. And listen, what, is, what does Jesus do? He called them. So Jesus called. Look at. Jesus called. So it happens. Again, this one is so that people would draw near. Sorry for those in the back. That's pretty small. This one is to correct. Right? He says, I want, he calls those who he wants to be near him. Here he calls those that are saying he's possessed by demons. He calls them near him and he says to them a parable. How can Satan cast out Satan? Now the word parable some and other other people think that Jesus spoke in parables to bring things, make things more clear, right? To make complicated things more simple. But the word that Mark uses, the word parable in the Greek, actually means riddle. It means to confound. It means to confuse. It means to 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 push off. So he's calling people. He's calling the disciples, and he speaks clearly to them. But when he calls the scribes to correct them, he speaks in a parable. And this is the part of the parable. Let's go on to verse to the next verse. He says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Next. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Do you see the word house here? Beelzebul, Lord of the house. If a house is divided, it cannot stand. He's, he's telling about something. And if Satan has, raised, has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. Next verse. But no one can enter a strong man's house, a lord of the house, a strong man's house, and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder the house. Truly I say to you, all sins have been forgiven, the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is Guilty of an eternal sin. Staying, hang on right there. Go back. So let's look at this parable real fast. So you have a, a kingdom. I'm going to just do a divided sign. Okay. Is that good? Y'all, should I be a teacher? Like, I feel like, whatever. All right. So then we've got uh, kingdom and then we've got house. That's divided, right? Jesus is talking about this. And in this parable, who is the strong man? The devil, the devil. And what did Jesus come to do? What, ha what happens to the strong man if he wants to take from his house? He's going to bind him up. All right, so this is the middle portion that's happening in this. Says if you got a, the Satan is the strong man here, the Lord of the house, and uh, Jesus said that he came to set the captive free. So he came not to be possessed by the devil, but to defeat the devil and to bind him up, so that those that have been taken captive by the devil would be delivered by him, right? And so we talk about the devil being the Lord of the house, because Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, they gave power and authority over to the enemy, and then he lords over them, and us being a part of that. Jesus saying, I've come in to bind the strong man and to lose those who've been taken captive by him. 
right? Then he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, whoever blasphemes, they, uh, whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So he's, he mentions one other thing. He talks about children. Okay. Now, this is the middle of the sandwich. This is actually going to reveal to us what's happening here and what happens after. But one important thing about children, he says, everything, says all sin would be forgiven except this eternal sin against the Holy Spirit. Right? Because they're trying to say that the work that Jesus is doing by the power of the Holy Spirit is actually work being done by the devil. Right? They're trying to, they're trying to say that Jesus isn't really here to set the captive free because he's in cahoots with the devil. And Jesus is saying, no, the work of the Holy Spirit is to set the captive free. Right? The work of the Holy Spirit in me that I am doing is so that you will be children of God. Right? So he talks about children and he talks about all sin. And that's important for us to recognize. And this other portion uh, of guilt for an eternal sin, which means an everlasting, no going back sin. Right? It lasts forever. There will be no forgiveness for this eternal sin. That's kind of important. Don't you think that there is a sin there that if we commit it, that we will no longer, we won't have forgiveness? We probably should pay attention to that, right? And so now, this is the other part of the sandwich. Are you with me? Is this okay? If it's not, we won't do it next week. And I'm pretty sure we won't anyway. All right, but anyway, we're going to continue. Verse 31 says this. Now, all of a sudden, we're back with his family. You see how the sandwich is coming to an end? Talked about the family. He's nuts. He's at home. Now he's back with the family. His mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent him and called to him. Uh, and it says, and the crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here, are, here is my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, my sister, and my mother. All right, so now this part of the sandwich, who do we see in this story? Who does it start with? So it starts with, I'm going to put family, right? His family that's supposed to support him, but they think he's nuts. Uh, and who else do we have in this? Uh, remember, you're in church. What's the answer? Jesus. Good job, everybody. I knew, I knew at least you're going to get one answer right this morning. It's always going to be Jesus. Okay. So we have Jesus. What action is being taken? They called. Wow. Who said called out? Y'all listening? You found a pattern? Called. But it's by his family. Ooh, I'm getting sloppy. And then Jesus. What does Jesus do? He asks the question, who is my family? What is he doing? He's redefining what family is. Redefine grace upon grace. Redefine family. Who is my family? Do you know in that culture, to not address your family when you're called, especially by your mother, this is why I think he might be Latino, to ignore his mama when she says, come outside. 
That's a huge deal, isn't it? It's still a huge deal today. Yeah, come on, somebody. Is that anybody got your mamas in here? If they call you, you're like, yes, ma'am, I'm coming outside right now. Please don't throw a fit. Don't hurt me. Don't throw your chancla at me, mom, please. All right, so we have Jesus, all of a sudden, he's redefining family. And what does he say who his family is now? Can you go back up to that verse? Yeah, go back up to uh, verse 35. Who is it? Whoever does the will of God, right? Whoever. Come on. Uh, All right. All right. So thank you, Adam. Can you give Adam a round of applause? Spectacular job. You held that board with style and grace. You did a good job. Now, now we're going to start looking at the connections. Are you ready? So uh, in the middle, remember, the middle of the sandwich is defining what's happening on the outside. So Jesus here calls those who he wants to be close to him, right? And he does it on the mountain. And the mountain in the Old Testament was a play, a meeting place with God. You see that with Moses. He goes upon the mountain where the Spirit of God dwells, where God reveals his presence to him. Do you remember that part where God says, or Moses says, I want to see your glory? And he's like, you couldn't handle it, so I'll put you in the cleft or the a little cut out of the rock and I'll pass my glory in front of you. That happened on a mountain. There's a prophet, Elijah, when he's doing all these tremendous things and he's fighting for God and he, he comes against all these prophets of Baal and, and they try to get their God and he's like, he must, be a, he must be asleep, yell louder, you know, do all these things. And then he says, like, drench the altar with all this water and then fire from heaven falls. And then he kills all these false prophets. What does he do after that? He runs to a mountain to be alone with God. And he's terrified, he's afraid, but a meeting place with God. Abraham, when he goes up to sacrifice Isaac, happens where? On a mountain. So so Mark is trying to reveal to us, see, Mark, Mark's not so much concerned about when he writes about being necessarily historically accurate in, in relation to this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened, as we understand history to unfold. What Mark will do is he'll, he'll look at the story of Jesus and say, what story can I put together to reveal a deeper truth of what Jesus does in our lives. And so he's, he's, doing, he's writing uh, more like a historical biography of Jesus' life. So all the things he's talking about happen, but he doesn't necessarily, he's not concerned with the order of things. Like we are concerned with the history of order of things. Does that make sense? So when he's revealing these things, he's trying to put these stories together so that we can see a deeper understanding of what's happening. And so he sees, he happens, it happens on a mountaintop where he wants to encounter them. And then he comes home, and his family calls him crazy. And those who are supposed to support him are actually against him. And then we see the scribes show up, and they come down from Jerusalem. They come down from the meeting place with God to encounter God and say he's not God but a devil. Then the scribes, are, are they, they walk down, and they're supposed to be part of his family. The scribes are the ones, are the religious leaders, the, the leaders of Jerusalem, the, the people of God who are supposed to hold the, the, the truth of God and, and be a light to the world. And yet they come and confront the light of the world and say he's full of darkness. That's interesting. Hello, somebody. Then those who are supposed to be with him are against him, and he's accused of being uh, filled 
with an evil spirit instead of the spirit of the living God. And Jesus says, uh, he says that he came to bind up the strong man and take back what Satan, Satan has stolen and to plunder the enemy's house and to replenish his own house. And what I find interesting about this story, this part uh, of what, what is written here is that he says that all sin will be forgiven except the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So we need to know what kind of sin this is. The sin is. So what, what theologians and scholars will say, and I think it points to understanding by the way he presents this side of the story with this side of the story and how the middle reveals what's happening, something about family, something about being called, something about being chosen, right? This, this parable that he tells about this, this unforgivable sin is also related to being a part of the family, being called, being redefined. And so he's revealing something there about what this eternal sin is, the sin that lasts forever. And so there have been people who, who have, uh, throughout the centuries, who have wrestled with and tried to figure out what this eternal sin is. And they've wondered, have I committed this eternal sin? Am I, is there a, some type of sin in my life that I've committed that God will not forgive? And so I want to bring a peace of mind to this because when we read just that verse in that context, when we zoom in really close on just that verse, we got, uh, become obsessed with it, but we miss the bigger picture of what God's trying to say. Because he's talking about how to become part of the family of God. He's not so concerned about, he's saying this sin that is committed against the Holy Spirit will stop you from being a part of the family of God. That's what he's concerned about. Not about some secret sin that you don't know that you haven't confessed that will potentially eternally damn you. Okay? So, so I want to bring you a peace of mind. The sin that he's talking about is the sin of rejecting the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who inaugurates you into the family of God. But if you're not inaugurated into the family of God, meaning if you've not accepted the forgiveness of sin by God, therefore you do not have forgiveness of sin. So that is a, that's an eternal sin that will last forever. The sin of rejecting the Holy Spirit and the gift of forgiveness he gives to us. It's circular. It's, it, it's, it just connects back into itself. If you have not accepted his forgiveness, you don't have forgiveness. This is what he's talking about. Because he's, he's revealing something greater and bigger to us about what it means to be in the family. He's saying that, that, that blood, that, that your, your history of what family lineage you come from, if it's good or bad, is, does not matter because he's redefining what it means to be in the family of God by those who have received forgiveness of sin that, that have, have chosen to accept the gift of the Holy Spirit in their lives. This is what he's saying to us. He's saying, you know, even the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious rulers and leaders of the day that were supposed to be the guardians of the truth did not have the truth. They confused the truth with a lie and rejected the Holy Spirit and were not accepting the revelation of who Jesus is to their generation. So he's saying, if you don't know who I am, you cannot receive my love or my forgiveness. And if you don't have my love and forgiveness, you don't have forgiveness of sin. But if you do have forgiveness, if you have accepted the Holy Spirit, what does he say? He says, all sin will be forgiven. All sin. All sin, not just a partial, not just the stuff that you like, uh, you know, 
can I, will this really be forgiven? I've, I keep going back to it. I don't know. Maybe he's not going to forgive me anymore. No, he says all sin will be forgiven except the sin of not accepting me. Should that bring us some hope today? Bring us some some joy today to know that 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 if, if God has called you and you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit residing in you, there is nothing in your past, in your present, or your future that will bind you or take hold of you because Jesus came to bind the strong man for you to set you free. So sometimes we read these stories and we take that portion of Scripture and we zoom in real close to it and then we become obsessed with trying to figure out what the eternal sin is. And he's saying, no, you are children. And if you are children, then all sin is forgiven. And if you're a part of my family, then I've redefined what it means to be a part of my family. Accept the free gift of salvation and what? Whoever will do the will of God. Whoever will do the will of God. You want to know what it means to be a part of the family of God? It means accept his love and forgiveness and then do his will. It's that simple, isn't it? Jesus is trying to let us know that we belong to him, that we are children of him, that we have a father in heaven who calls us his own. Isn't that good today? That when his family came to pull him out of the crowd, Jesus says, no, I've got a different family. I've got a way of redefining who belongs to who. And sometimes because of where we come from, because of our own past or our own family lineage or because of our own heritage or family of origin, we think, man, I can't do what God wants me to do because you don't know my past. You don't know my parents or what they've done or my grandparents. You don't know my family's jacked up. You don't know my cousins and all of these things. And we think that those things are limitations upon what God can do in our lives. But Jesus says, no, I came to redefine what a family is. I came to tell you that, that there is a God in heaven who loves you immensely, that his love for you is perfect, that there is nothing that you could do or not do to continue to receive his love in your life. What you must do, though, is to accept him and to receive it and to receive the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness that he freely gives to you to join this family. Oftentimes, especially in Mark, and we'll see it as we continue to go through the book of Mark, but Jesus, a lot of times, he's sitting with people that the leaders say he shouldn't be sitting with. Why are you sitting with those sinners, those tax collectors, those prostitutes, those people that are sitting, they're filthy. What are you doing? You can't break bread with them. But Jesus says, I redefine who the family is, and I say who sits at my table and who doesn't. Not you, not your rules, not your religiosity, not any of those things. I define who can be in and who is out. I, I say, if you want to be in, be in. If you want it, accept it. And then you can be a part of it. It's simple. We Sometimes we make it too complex. Sometimes we try to make it grander than it is. Or sometimes we focus in so tightly that we miss the bigger picture of what God is trying to say. Because Jesus came to bind the strong man of this world, the devil, who holds us captive and to free us from his control. He calls to invite us into his family and to partner with him and to carry out the will of God in, his, in our lives. 
So it doesn't matter if our family accepts us or rejects us because of our faith in Jesus. It doesn't matter if they agree with us or they say that you're crazy. Jesus knows what that's like. His own mama said he's crazy. Do you know Mary was just a human too who got things wrong? She didn't know really Jesus either until the point of the cross. And then she put her faith in him too. Before that, she was like, mijo, I'm going to throw my chancla at you if you don't eat right now. That was Mary. Some of you mamas can relate to Mary this morning. So it doesn't matter what your family says about you or if they agree with you or does or don't. It doesn't matter if those who are supposed to support you don't and they turn their back on you. Because it all happened to Jesus. He knows exactly what it's like for you to know that people that were supposed to be there for you didn't. Those who are supposed to have your back didn't. But Jesus says, I'm redefining what the family should look like. And he invites us to be a part of that by accepting the free gift of the Holy Spirit that he brings to us. And the only way that you can't receive forgiveness is if you reject his forgiveness. But if you accept him, then all sins will be washed away. So this morning, I want to invite everyone who has not accepted the free gift of God and his forgiveness an opportunity to do it. Because it's simple. If you want it, say, Lord, I receive it. So with every head bowed, every eye closed this morning, I want to give you the opportunity and the invitation that you would not reject the free gift that the Holy Spirit gives you. Because if you reject it, you will never have forgiveness. If you say no, not today, no, not now, then you continue to walk bound. You're still bound up by the strong man who's trying to be the Lord of your house, but to replace him, you have to make Jesus the Lord of your life. 